So recently I've been thinking a lot about the passage in the New Testament that many scholars believe to be Jesus' mission statement. Now a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's our Lenten series, and it's focused on Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, where Jesus declares that the Spirit of the Lord anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I've been reflecting on this passage for more than just the last few weeks. The disturbing events in our society over the past several years, whether it's the shooting of unarmed black men by police, terrorist attacks in the quote-unquote safest countries and communities in the world, our own included, or blatant attempts of the powerful to subject their repressive will on those not in power, those have weighed really heavily on my subconscious. Those thoughts jumped directly to the forefront of my conscious mind last November. And this notion of freedom to the oppressed has been one I've been meditating on in regards to our society at large, and especially to me personally, um, and the community in which I live. When Brad asked me to preach on this part of the scripture to set the oppressed free, I wasn't really sure I could ever fully organize my thoughts and feelings in order to share them in an understandable manner. This is so personal for me. As a black person, as a woman, as an immigrant to this country, in this world where none of those things are received favorably in society. And at the same time as someone who enjoys a certain privilege as a consequence of my graduate education and my professional career. Why is freedom to the oppressed important to me? Because it's personal for me. Turns out it's personal for Jesus too. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses three through five, Jesus is described like this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus was despised, he was rejected, familiar with suffering and sorrow. He was rejected not only by his own people, but by the world at large. He bore our sorrows, he healed our wounds, and yet we considered him cursed by God. He was the sacrificial lamb for our transgressions, and he suffered the ultimate price in order to bring us peace. Jesus knew what it was to be oppressed. His people lived under occupation from one civilization or another for generations. Occupation from Egypt, from Assyria, from Babylon, from Persia, and during his time it was the Romans who conquered and ruled. Jesus knew what it was to be a refugee. His parents did as they were instructed, in accordance with the commands of the Roman Empire, to travel to Joseph's hometown to be registered for a census, a census ordered by the occupying and oppressive regime. But in so doing, and by consequence of his birth, Jesus and his family were forced to flee their home, and they lived in exile for years, hiding from the earthly king who would see him executed, a king who did see all other Jewish male children aged two years and younger killed. Jesus knew what it was to be affected by violence. 
Time and again, the New Testament relays stories of angry and violent reactions to Jesus. Was he not threatened and pursued, stripped and beaten, flogged and finally hung on a cross to die? Who better for God to send to set the oppressed free than one who fully understands what it is to be oppressed? For him, it's personal. The plight of the oppressed wasn't just some abstract notion for Jesus, something that happened to other people in other places. It was the story of his life, from birth and exile to a life of ridicule and rejection, to death at the request of his own people by the hands of the very empire who ruled them. Reflecting on what oppression looked like in Jesus' day led me to thinking about our own day and time. Close your eyes. When I say the phrase oppressed people, what jumps to the forefront of your mind? Several obvious people groups may come to mind when you consider who our society marginalizes. Racial and ethnic minorities. Religious minorities. People who identify as LGBTQ. Those who are disabled, foreigners, women. But what about those groups that are maybe not so obvious? Those of low socioeconomic status, prisoners, the elderly, people with mental health problems, veterans, the homeless. What does oppression look like for all of these groups? For Jesus, he was rejected, he was ridiculed, he was threatened, made to live in exile, and finally executed. Sadly, not a lot has changed in over 2,000 years. Take women, for example. The news has recently been reporting about another attack on women in the military, this time through social media. Nude photos of female Marines were and still are being posted on social media groups um, within groups that are comprised of active duty and veteran service members. The military already suffers from a culture of sexism where women are often the targets of sexual harassment and sexual assault. And now these women who signed up to fight and die for their country are being cyberbullied and harassed, not just to their faces, but also online for the world to see, even after some of them are no longer serving in active duty. Can you imagine how that would feel? And what about those who suffer from mental illness? Not just people who are institutionalized for severe schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, but also the millions of people who deal with anxiety and, and depression on a daily basis, while still trying to keep a steady job, to pay the bills, to care for their families. Not only is mental health not fully valued in our society, but the lack of adequate health care coverage for mental health visits and medications, as well as the shortage of properly qualified mental health care professionals makes truly addressing mental health concerns incredibly difficult. In states with the lowest workforce, there's only one mental health provider for every 1,000 people. Then there's the racial and ethnic minorities. I think historical examples of oppression for racial and ethnic minorities in this country are very easy to come by, whether it's the genocide of the Native American peoples, the enslavement of Africans, or the internment of Japanese Americans. But what about the more subtle ways in which racial minorities are systematically disenfranchised and subject to daily micro microaggressions? From being followed around in a store, always chosen for those random security checks at the airport, 
or ignored and overlooked when the services of a doctor are requested on an airplane. Racism is alive and well. For the religious minorities, there are numerous stories about attacks on mosques in the United States and the persecution of Christians in many Asian and Middle Eastern countries. More recently, what comes to mind is the vandalization of multiple Jewish cemeteries across the country, and the bomb threats that were called into those Jewish community centers. For the LGBTQ community, they've had their own chair to deal with, whether it's the shooting in a nightclub in Florida or this whole bathroom issue. Legislators have tried to prevent people from using the bathroom of their own personal gender identity, much in the same way blacks and whites were made to use separate restrooms, couldn't drink from the same water fountain as recently as 60 years ago. And in a nation of immigrants, foreigners have been more and more maligned. Whether it's the travel bans from two majority Muslim countries, the two travel bans from majority Muslim countries that have recently been enacted or the suspension of the refugee program, foreigners are not being made to feel welcome. That image of the Statue of Liberty being a beacon for those seeking a better life, that seems to ring hollow. It's too easy to list the myriad of ways oppressed people are marginalized whether it's the office microaggressions or overt laws blatantly aimed at discrimination. But how do we respond to the injustice in the world around us? What is needed of us as followers of Jesus? In the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 45, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did you see you hungry or thirsty, or stranger or needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. 
So first we have to be aware that there's a problem. Injustice exists. People are being oppressed in this very day and age and not just from authoritarian regimes. In verse 44, Jesus says they, meaning those on his left, who he deemed cursed, also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? Even those Jesus deemed righteous asked him, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? It would seem that neither group was particularly conscious of the marginalized within their own society or how these people related to Jesus. Yet Jesus calls us to bring freedom to the oppressed. How do we do that if we don't first open our eyes to the marginalized within our own society, however hidden they may be? Second, once our eyes are open to injustice, the question becomes, with whom will we stand? Will we be those who Jesus speaks of in verse 40, who did for the least of these brothers and sisters? Those who stood in solidarity with the oppressed? Or will we fall into the opposite group? Standing in solidarity can take many forms. It can look like showing up for marches, protesting injustice, or building a relationship with that neighbor or coworker who may be considered an outcast, or even standing up to that family member who espouses prejudice and bigotry, even if they don't even realize it. I can't tell you what solidarity will look like for you, but one thing that I think the passage makes clear is that solidarity goes hand in hand with action, or inaction as it may be. The ones Jesus calls righteous are those who fed and clothed, cared for and visited him by doing so for the least in society. The ones he scolds, calling them cursed, are those who didn't. Did those people, the ones on Jesus' left, did they know that they were ignoring the plight of their fellow citizens? Maybe, maybe not. I think it's easy for all of us to fall into that second group. The ones who go through life blissfully unaware, or maybe marginally aware, but without a real understanding of how injustice that may not directly affect them actually hurts us all. Maybe we console ourselves by saying, well, I don't personally believe that, or I would never treat fill in the blank that way or support that discriminatory law. I don't believe those things. But is it really enough not to agree and not to believe? Is awareness and stated solidarity enough if it doesn't actually manifest into action? So then, what can we do? What practical action can we take to not just show our awareness and broadcast our solidarity, but to see and enact real change? Freedom from oppression looks different for every marginalized group. And while grand sweeping changes, such as the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote, the Voting Rights Act, which prohibits racial, racial discrimination in voting, or the Supreme Court ruling in favor of marriage equality, while those things might not be within our individual abilities, there are endless numbers of smaller ways in which we can make a positive difference. The good news is that for every story of injustice and oppression we hear about, for every instance of violence and hatred, there are people responding with love and compassion. 
For example, members of the Muslim community came out to help the Jewish community clean up after their cemeteries were vandalized. They organized fundraisers, they volunteered their time. They didn't have to do that. But as a marginalized group themselves, they understood what it is to be threatened and attacked, but more importantly, how much more powerful a response of love and solidarity is. Love will always conquer hate. For women, I recently read a story in social media about a male writer and editor right here in Pennsylvania who swapped email addresses with his female colleague for two weeks. He learned how disrespectful clients were to him when they thought that he was a her, how they questioned his judgment, advice, and ability. He even tried emailing the exact same ideas under his own name just to see what would happen, and he was surprised by how quickly the tune changed when they thought that they were dealing with a man. And although the coworker's boss brushed aside their concerns when they brought him the evidence of their experiment, the point is that this man stood up for his female colleague in a very public way and then shared that with the rest of us. What about the way people of all backgrounds joined together with the Native American people to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline, going so far as to set up camp at the site and subject themselves to the same extreme weather conditions, um, the water cannons, the frigid temperatures, just as the tribal people whose land is being desecrated? These protesters may not have a personal stake or interest in the land, but when they saw injustice, they took action to oppose it. Another example I can think of is the way businesses such as PayPal, the NCAA, and Google pulled events and canceled planned ventures as a result of North Carolina's House Bill 2, known as the Bathroom Bill, that requires residents of the state to use the public facility corresponding with their biological sex instead of their gender identity. Now this was a law that was passed in direct response to the city of Charlotte's um, passage of an anti-discrimination law that would include the LGBTQ community. Charlotte takes a step forward, North Carolina takes five steps back. And in response, these businesses said, we don't wanna have anything to do with this. Despite the cost to their own business, um, these companies thought that this issue was important enough to not just say that they disagreed, but to actually take action uh, to demonstrate their opposition, whether or not it hurt them financially. And finally, although foreigners have been maligned within our country and around the world, what about the way that multiple lawyers and judges spend their weekends working either from their offices from home or going directly to airports after that first travel ban was enacted, working in support and defense of refugees and support and defense of those who were legal residents of the United States. All of these examples, I think, are bright spots within this world in which we live. And I don't want this message to be one of just doom and gloom and darkness and just um, a listing of all the ways in which our world is broken. Yes, we are broken, but yes, there is so much more that we can do. There are so many ways in which people are taking a stand. Whether or not we think we belong to one or more of these marginalized groups in society, there is an opportunity for action. Fighting injustice and working toward freedom for oppression is for all of us, regardless of our perceived status in society. However, practical action looks different for everybody. The examples I gave may not be what works for you personally. That's okay, they're just examples. 
But I think that one of thing that all of us can do is to engage in our community, to become involved in one social justice organization that speaks to us on a personal level. What that looks like, that's up to you. Whether it involves participating in community service, attending educational series, or engaging in social events for awareness, there's something out there for everybody. And I think Jesus makes it clear in verses 35 through 36 that simple things, simple things, like feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, clothing the poor, and visiting the sick, those things are seen, they're felt, and they're appreciated. Sometimes standing up to injustice comes at a cost. Whether it's damaging relationships with families and friends, facing trouble at work, or losing customers, acting against any form of oppression can be hard. So what do we gain from it? What do we get out of it? Why is it important? First, I would suggest that we gain a deeper connection to Jesus. In the book of John, after the Last Supper, Jesus asks Peter three times if Peter loves him. Every time Peter answers yes, Jesus instructs him to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. In the same way that Jesus commands Peter to take care of his sheep, he expects us to care for each other, to do for the least of these in our society, and by so doing, show our love for him. Isaiah makes it clear that Jesus died for our sins, though the world rejected him. His life was forfeit so that we could be healed, so that we could have peace. What then will we do with that gift? Matthew 25, verse 40, makes it clear that Jesus equates himself with the marginalized in society. He says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We grow closer to him when we recognize, care for, and act in support of those with whom Jesus has aligned himself, the hungry, the stranger, foreigner, or refugee, the poor, the elderly, the sick, disabled, and imprisoned, the, the racial, religious, sex, and gender minorities. Second, I think that what we gain from fighting injustice is that we get to help create a world that looks like Jesus' kingdom here on earth. When asked what the most important commandment is, Jesus responded with, love the Lord your God, and added a second, to love your neighbor as yourself saying that no commandment is greater than these. If then, Jesus commands us to take care of his sheep, to do unto the least of these, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, what else can we conclude than that this is the kingdom, this is the society that Jesus would bring to earth, a world created in his image, a world where there is no oppression, where our differences are celebrated instead of feared and reviled, where we are all recognized as God's children and share as co-heirs with Jesus. Time and time again throughout Jesus' life, he stops and specifically calls out to the unremarkable, to those most in need in our society. Whether it's the Samaritan woman at the well, the simple fisherman he calls to be his disciples, the woman in the crowd suffering from years of bleeding, the tax collector with whom he dines, the blind, the lame, and the possessed who he heals, 
Jesus makes it clear that he sees the least of these in society. He identifies with them. He was prophesied to be like them, and his life bore out his prophecy. They matter to him as they should matter to us. Jesus calls us to help set the oppressed free in order to create a world in his image, to bring his kingdom here to earth, and by so doing, to grow closer in relationship with him. I know that's a lot to take in, it's a lot to think about, it's a lot to digest. But I can pray for us that as God works in our hearts, that he just opens up um, the steps that we can take individually within our own societies, within our own families, within our communities, and the steps that we can take as a church and as a community as a whole. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for your gift. Thank you for your son. Thank you for loving us enough to sacrifice him. Lord, I pray as we think about who in our society most needs our support, that your spirit would guide us. Lord, let us be bold. Let us be brave. Let us use your son's life as a map for our own. God, I ask that in this world today that is not so different from other times in history, that we open our eyes and that we keep them open. Lord, I ask that you would just be with each and every one of us as we take a step in faith. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would let us know where we should go, what we should do, how we should help. They don't have to be big things, Father. I just pray that you show us when there's an opportunity, that you push us forward, that we take that step. God, I pray for your children. I pray for this world. I pray for this earth that you have created, for the love that you have shown us. And I pray that in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of the oppression and the injustice, that you would continue to show your love and your compassion through us and that those stories would ring true, that those are the ones that we would hear and talk about. Father, I pray for just another glimpse of your kingdom here on earth. All these things I pray through Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Charlene. Um, we're going to move into a, a time of musical worship and taking communion and uh, connecting to God in several different ways. Uh, but before we do, one thing that we value here is leaving room to uh, respond to what God is doing in the moment. So our team of prayer people pray before the service and listen, and often they'll have impressions that can be uh, for you. And so Kenny is going to share a little bit about that. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, just praying before service, uh, got an image of uh, impression of like a comet coming down in the sky and just like big fiery ball. Um, honestly, I didn't know what to think of that for a little bit. Uh, nothing came to mind, but I sat with it. I just really felt like um, maybe somebody needs a sign, you know, from from heaven uh, over something in your life. Um, and just, just as I'm thinking about that, it was just like the, the Magi, how they went to go find Jesus. They, they followed a star. They followed a sign uh, that came from heaven. And um, 
and maybe maybe that's you know maybe someone here needs uh, a sign just to just to follow Jesus to find him. Um, I love to pray for you if that's it, um, and and anything else um, you guys might have, and just kind of going going with the theme today about oppression. Uh, just um, you know, I I believe you know though we can be oppressed, we can be free. Uh, we could be free in our spirit, and whatever oppression you may have in your life, maybe. It's a, a spirit of fear that causes you from moving out and doing the things you're called to do in your life. Uh, we just love to pray for that, too. Um, so, And also, each week of Lent, you have an opportunity to come to the prayer alcove and pray for a people group who are in special need of just, justice and compassion. Uh, this week, we hold in our hearts uh, religious minorities. Uh, in the news, we see acts of violence and hatred where headstones are toppled in Jewish cemeteries and mosques and other Islamic places of worship are set on fire. Uh, It is because we follow Jesus that we mourn with those who mourn and seek to live in peace with one another. On the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, there's a place called the Dome of the Rock, which holds religious significance for followers of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And while the site is maintained as a mosque, visitors from all faiths are invited to visit. Uh, in the same way, you have an opportunity to come to the prayer alcove to pray for peace among all religious minorities. There will be a large rock on the table, um, which you're welcome to kind of just interact with. While you're there, consider how you can be an agent of change, sharing Christ's peace with those you meet, and extending his love to those who may need it most. Thanks. Thanks, Kenny. So Kenny will be with the prayer team also. Uh, during all of our musical worship time to pray for anyone um, who uh, would like to respond to something that he shared or anything else in your life. But before we do, this is the last week of the month, and on the last Sunday of the month, we take time to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for us. And uh, so I want to read to you a scripture, and then we'll prepare our hearts to take communion. So this is from John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come to being. In him was life, and life, and in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And so this morning, as we take communion, uh, we remember that Jesus... Uh, came and entered our world and gave all of himself to us. And we see that particularly in a sacrifice on the cross. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your body, which was broken. And we see that represented in the bread of communion. And we thank you for your blood that was spilled. We see represented in the juice. We just invite you to come and be here just as you came into the world as a human being, um, that we could connect to you as someone who understands us, understands what it means to live here, and gets what it means to experience suffering. We thank you for that. We remember your body broken and your blood spilled, and remember also that that was just the precursor, the lead-in, to your resurrection, which released new life that's available to all of us. Amen.
So if you've committed your life to following Jesus, you're welcome to join with us. Um, there's some scriptures that say if you're not really into this that you shouldn't take communion. But um, if you, no matter what background you're coming from, if you just want to reach out to Jesus in a real way, in an authentic way, you're welcome to join with us as well. Of course, whatever place you are in life, if you want to just sit and reflect, you can let the, the elements pass as well. You notice the bread will come first, the juice will come after, and you can just dip your bread into the juice as it comes by. survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gate I count but lost and poor content on all my pride. Bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, thou wonderful cross. Oh, thou wonderful cross. And all who gather here by grace draw near. And bless your name. Seen from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow. It bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, thou wonderful cross. Oh, thou wonderful cross. And all who gather here by grace 
draw near and bless your name. strong. 